How active are the dead in listening to the Savior's voice? Zero. But it says the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. But they're not active in that hearing any more than light was active in obeying by coming into existence. That's the comparison made in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I had wanted to go phrase by phrase through the first 22 verses, which are basically his introduction and explanation about our redemption in Christ Jesus through his blood that should cause us to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. That's a lot of joy. When it's unspeakable joy, you can't get it all out because you're just so full of the glory and joy of God, you can't express it all. But I do not want this service to go along because we have a day that we're trying to make productive from beginning to end. So I'm going to cut it short, and please don't be disappointed if I miss a verse that you wanted me to deal with. I'll be happy to deal with the verse, but for right now, let's focus on what pertains to the Lord's table most of all. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read to you the first 22 verses, and then I'll make a few comments about a few of those verses. Please follow along as attentively as you can, and pretend that you are like those Israelites that stood before Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites when they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. You have it in your hands. Ezra stood upon a pulpit of wood so that everyone could see that he was opening the book of God. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, 
ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Amen Amen and amen. Have mercy upon me. Do you know how much there is in those 22 verses? A lot. And it's precious. Let's lay hold of just a few things in a few of these verses. We have the Lord's table before us as well. The strangers that are addressed here are Jews of the dispersion that have been scattered in the nations according to God's judgment. Peter was a minister of the circumcision like James, John, Jude, Jesus. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. These strangers are Jews in other places where they were considered strangers rather than in their home country. He addresses them in the second verse by describing their election, which is according to foreknowledge. We know from the Bible that men are not elected or chosen by God because of what God saw they would do in their lives. This foreknowledge cannot be of what God saw they would do, but rather it is God's foreknowledge of them personally. It is knowing them in a loving way, in a way of favor and affection. He has set His love upon us, and He has called it an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 When the Lord did look down from heaven upon men, He did not find any that were seeking Him. 
So this foreknowledge cannot be what he saw we would do. It's that he saw us and set his love on us in Christ. He foreknew us. He will tell the wicked, I never knew you. He's going to tell them he never knew them, but he's always known us. He's known us beforehand because he set us, he set his affection on us that long ago. Through sanctification, the Spirit is within commas, which means it's a non-restrictive element that the sentence or the clause of verse 2 can be read without it for you to understand it better. Because the sanctification of the Spirit comes long after the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you weren't even alive when Jesus Christ died for you. But it's a descriptive statement of every saint of God. They were sanctified or made holy by the vital and personal work of the Holy Spirit regenerating us and giving us a new nature. But the election is unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a second Adam, and we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that he would obey for us, and his blood would be sprinkled to our account. And that is what election leads to. Then the Holy Spirit applies all that. The Lord can put them in whatever order he wishes. But he put them in this particular order and put commas around them, because that middle phrase is non-restrictive and does not modify the other two. They're describing our election. When you read Ephesians chapter 1, you know what election is unto. It's unto being made accepted in the Beloved. It's unto the forgiveness of sins and the work of Jesus Christ. Then during our lives, when we have existence, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and gives us a holy nature. He blesses them with grace and peace and multiplies it to them. That's a great greeting. It's a whole lot better than... How are you? I am fine. Isn't that how most American emails and letters open? How are you? I am fine. How about this? Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Peter wants to bless the Lord. And so in verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God, the one he's just mentioned in verse 2, that elected us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love to bless Him? Do you know what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.13? We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath chosen you from the beginning. We're bound. So today we're bound to be thankful. We're bound to be joyful. We're bound to bless the Lord. David in writing Psalm 103 said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name, who forgiveth all my iniquities, who healeth all my diseases, who restoreth my youth... And so forth. But do you know what we have added here? The election of God to salvation. The sanctification of the Spirit. The obedience of Jesus Christ for us. Those are a lot of great blessings God has given us. There's going to be a big celebration in this country in a couple of weeks. Because they got elected. To what? The lowest paid NBA player makes more than the office they're going to get elected to. To what? What are they celebrating? You know there's going to be a big party on a Tuesday night in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Should we have one tonight? Amen. We've been elected. Right. And we haven't been elected to an office we've got to give up at, in eight years. Mm-hmm. Or that we've got to go through all this rigmarole again in four years to get it the second time. Right. Don't, you, don't you agree? 
Our party, our party tonight ought to be better than theirs in two weeks. Amen. We've been elected to be the sons of God. That's right. And so Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of mercy does he have in this verse? Cry it out, brethren. Don't go to sleep on me. Abundant, abundant mercy. Look at that. Which according to his abundant mercy right. hath begotten us again. You know, that's talking about our family relationship. He generated us again. We became the sons of God by Him regenerating us. It's talking about our adoption as God's sons. He has begotten us again unto a special kind of hope. A lively hope. Not a dead hope, stuffy hope, theological hope. A lively hope because there's a living evidence. There's a living evidence of this hope. And do you know who that is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When He gives us hope, He doesn't just say, I am going to come back and raise you from the dead and take you to heaven. He does it to Jesus first so that there is a living example of it. So it's called a lively hope. Because there's a living example in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's He begotten us unto? Remember, let me say it again. You are the richest man in the world. And for the purpose of displaying your goodness, your kindness, your glory, and your riches, you choose the poorest child in the world at great expense. What are you going to give them? If you did, if you did those things for those reasons, when you got your hands on that child and he started to grow up where he could appreciate things, what would you do for him? Would you give him everything you had? Would you be driving around your estate every day? Look at this. It's yours. Look at this horse. You want to ride this? Look at this house. You want to live there for a weekend? Look at this. Let's go, let's go sit with this Swiss banker and have him tell you what you own. Right. Let's go to this trustee. This is what the Lord's done for us. Amen. To an inheritance. Incorruptible. That's its nature. It cannot corrupt. And undefiled, that it's its factual condition right now. There's nothing evil or bad about it at all. There's nothing disappointing. There's nothing disappointing about God's inheritance for us. And that fadeth not away. There's a whole lot of riches right now that are fading away. Trillions of dollars over the last one month. When the stock market moves down like it has, trillions of dollars have been taken off the balance sheets of many who have wills. Trillions. Everyone's poor in the whole world in every country. But we're not. You know, we've talked about this before. We're not poor at all. Because our inheritance doesn't fade away. And no one's going to get it from me. Because it's reserved in heaven. For you. Isn't that personal? These are the words of the living God. This is God Almighty writing through Peter, his secretary, to the strange Jews scattered abroad in various countries, which we get to read and apply to ourselves. And they're kept by the power of God through faith. Faith is what keeps us until we arrive in heaven. Faith is... Do you remember that verse I read to you earlier? Listen to it again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. Right. You know what the crucial words in there are for us to do? There's the power of the Holy Ghost in there. 
What are the crucial words for us? In believing. Because it's through believing by faith, God's promises and what God has said in His Word, that's what God blesses and uses, and by His power through the Holy Ghost, increases that faith and gives us peace and joy and hope to boot on top of the faith. And so we have here the words who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I believe that salvation in verse 5 is the second coming of Jesus Christ and that salvation, and we're kept unto it, in a practical way, by being delivered from all the temptations, trials, and manifold temptations and heaviness that the next verse is going to describe, by faith. Because we believe that God is, and God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We believe what's in verse 4, and He strengthens that belief. And He increases that belief. Like the disciples when they prayed, Lord, increase our faith. And so He does that by His power. Some faith can be overthrown. Some faith can be weak. You don't feed yourself in the Word of God. Even God's power isn't going to keep, increase your faith. And He's not going to keep you. His power will not keep you. Temptations will come in your life and you'll crumble. And there have been Christians that have crumbled when they face temptations because they didn't build up their faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when you're exercising your faith and it's being tried by temptations, but you... Let that trials make it more perfectly, then God uses His power to sustain you. And that's how God works with His children while we're here, before we're in heaven, realizing our eternal inheritance and being glorified with Him. Wherein, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Now notice the words there. We've had great mirth. We've had great gladness. This is greatly rejoice. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. That is in your faith, though now for a season... If need be, you know what that if need be means? If God finds it profitable for Him and for you that you should experience some temptations. It's not circumstantial. It's not political. It's not what your enemies choose. It's what the Lord chooses, if need be. Because you know what the Bible says? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Your temptations will never be greater than you are able to bear. But when these temptations come, they come for a reason. Verse 7 tells us they come to make your faith better. So that your faith, when Jesus Christ does appear the second time, look at what it says your faith can be worthy of. Your faith can be worthy of, from God, His praise, His honor, and His glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When he perfects it by the fires of trials and temptations, just like gold is perfected to make it more pure and more valuable, your faith can be perfected where God will say when he meets you, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I will make thee ruler over many cities. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. There are other verses as well. And then it goes on to describe that faith. Whom having not seen, ye love. That's a man better than Thomas. Jesus told Thomas, You said you wouldn't believe until you touched me and stuck your fingers in the holes in my hands and put your hand into my side. But blessed are they that believe that haven't seen. That's John 20 and 29. And that's these people here. They were strangers scattered abroad in various countries. They weren't in that upper room where Jesus appeared. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even though they had manifold temptations, that means many and various kinds of temptations. I don't care what is, 
a temptation in your life that's hurting you, troubling you, distressing you, worrying you. I don't care what it is because it's in that verse. It's to build your faith up. By, by learning to override that temptation or overcome that temptation by trusting God and what He's promised in verses like these. Because whatever it is, it's very small compared to these very big things. Whatever it is. So manifold works well for all of us. Many and various. Now there's a different salvation here in verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. They receive the end of their faith. Not when they get to heaven. Not when Jesus comes. But they receive the end of their faith when they believe on Jesus Christ though they haven't seen Him. This is practical salvation that sustains us through this life. We receive the end of our faith. The purpose for faith is to keep us until Jesus Christ comes for us. That's really what verse 5 said as well. Who are kept. We are kept by the power of God through faith until Jesus comes for us and brings us that eternal phase of salvation. But until then, it is our faith that sustains us in the face of temptations and difficulties. In verse 8... You have belief without seeing. You have love without seeing. You have rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even though these people were being tried by manifold temptations, that was a salvation. That even though they might have their goods taken away, their children taken away, they could be put in prison, all their goods taken away, they could be offered to a gladiator. They were still rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory because they believed in their Savior and the God that had elected them and their eternal inheritance that was reserved in heaven for them. Right. Now let me keep proving that I'm telling you the truth about that ninth verse. That that is a practical salvation. Because look at the next verse. Peter's going to make a distinction to let you know that he's talking about more than one. Of which salvation? Well, which salvation is he talking about? The one in verse 5 or the one in verse 9? We're going to go with the one that's immediately at hand. Because what's about to follow is an explanation of practical salvation, of knowing what God has done for us so that it can sustain us even during difficult times. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The prophets told about something that would happen to New Testament saints that did not happen to them. And we all go to heaven. They're not talking about heaven. Jesus Christ is going to resurrect their dead bodies just as much as He's going to resurrect ours. This is something different. Verse 11, more about those prophets. Searching what? Oh, verse 10. There's so, verse 10. Of this salvation, prophets have inquired. Do you know what Jesus would say in Matthew 13? Many prophets and many righteous men have desired to look into these things and have not seen them. What things? Jesus preaching on earth. God manifest in the flesh, preaching the truth of the gospel and opening up and making the will of God plain of what God has done for His people and then dying on the cross and then ascending up into heaven. We, it's for us. They didn't even know, they didn't know the details of it. They could only see it obscurely. Because look at verse 11, searching what? These prophets search what? They didn't know what they were writing about very clearly. Or what manner of time? They didn't know when it was going to happen. The Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified. Now look at what it's going to talk about. The sufferings of Christ, not His second coming. 
The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Where did the glory follow? Where is Jesus Christ right now? He's at the right hand of God. How much glory is there there? All the glory there is ever going to be. He's got every bit of it right now. We are not waiting for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to arrive anywhere. He has all the glory. He's been crowned with glory and honor. There's a brother in here that read the book of Hebrews this past week. Psalm 8. And I shared this with another family. Psalm 8. David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What, who, who, who is man that you visited him? Thou, made, thou, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. You put all creatures under his feet. You made him to have dominion over them. You crowned him with glory and honor. At a first pass, you would read Psalm 8. You would read those words. Are you all familiar with where I'm at? I don't have time. You read those words. Do you remember? Psalm 8. You read those words and you think, yeah, man's a little lower than the angels, and he's given us power over all his creatures. So when we go to the zoo, and we look at these animals, and we see somebody that's got an elephant trained to stand on a little block of wood, that that's having dominion over his creatures, and you've given some glory and honor to man. He made the Empire State Building. He invented, he, you know, he, he designed it 747 that could fly across the country. And you start thinking the fulfillment of Psalm 8 is in man. Then you go to Hebrews 2. Listen to these words. Paul said, one in a certain place. One in a certain place said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. He's quoting from Psalm 8. Where you thought that it was talking about us having dominion over the animals and domesticating cats and dogs. We we would be tempted to think that way. Made a little lower than the angels, and he's given us some glory above the brute creation. It looks that way, doesn't it? But you get to Hebrews 2, one in a certain place, and he quotes Psalm 8. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. You put all things under his feet. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Listen to Paul. But now we see not all things under his feet. Hebrews 2.8. But now we see not all things under his feet. Are you getting ready? But now we see not all things under his feet. What do you think Hebrews 9, 2, 9 says? But we see Jesus, Amen. who was made a little lower than the angels, who was crowned with glory and honor, and all things are under his feet. And when it says all things are under his feet, it's not talking about domesticating cats and dogs. It's talking about angels, principalities, powers, might, throne, and dominion. Amen. But we see Jesus. Amen. But we see, what was all that, what was all that for? It was to help you understand right here, verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. They testified about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. He'll crown them with glory and honor. Psalm 8 is an example of this. David wasn't really sure and fully deep. We know it. How many days was it? We know everything about it. What were the four beasts doing when it happened? Do you know that? Do you know how much you know? Amen. What were the four beasts doing? Come. Nobody in this church wants to do it. Amen. Amen. Isn't that what it says in Revelation five fourteen? And the four beasts said, amen. "Amen." No wonder Handel, when he wrote Messiah, had a five minute amen stuck in the end of that thing. Do, do all of you listen all the way through Handel's Messiah to, through his five minute amen? Because the last sentence of Hebrew of uh, Revelation chapter five is, and the four beasts said, Amen. "Amen." 
That's how much we know about Jesus Christ receiving glory and honor at the right hand of God. We know what the angel choir say, sang. We know what the redeemed choir sang. We know what the four and twenty elders did with their crowns. Did David? Poor David didn't. But I'll tell you, David got to see it in spirit. Because the spirits of just men are there waiting for us. I am way in trouble now. It was, reve- it was revealed to them that it wasn't unto themselves. They weren't going to have these blessings of the, knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory that was going to follow Him in the New Testament dispensation. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us. There is a distinction between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. They did minister the things which are... What things? They did minister the things. It's not heaven. It's not a new kingdom for Israel in the Middle East. What things? The things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. What things were reported by the apostles full of the Holy Ghost? Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth was buried and rose again after three days according to the Scriptures. Jesus of Nazareth is at the right hand of God. Jesus of Nazareth is coming again. Jesus of Nazareth is the, is the judge of the quick and the dead. Je- Jesus is everything. Amen. And it was reported by men who were full of the Holy Ghost. Right. We live in a blessed time. Is there not a cause? If there was a cause for David to want to celebrate with great mirth, what about us? I hope I'm not yelling too loud for your ears and your comfort. I don't want you to be too comfortable. Which things the angels desire to look into, you bet they do. How in the world did the Lord Jesus Christ pass over all their fallen comrades and save lowly, sinful men like us and make us the sons of God and make them our servants? I've said it so many times, but do you really understand it? No. I'm in verbal quicksand. The more I struggle, the less I get out. I wish I could tell you. He goes on to say, listen, if this is all true, wherefore, let's gird up the loins of our mind. Let's be sober and hope to the end. Let's not let these little things that come in life bother us. You know, having your limbs cut off, being fed to lions in a coliseum, having your children taken away, losing your job or losing your house. Let's not let these little things bother us. Let's gird up the loins of our mind and hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're back to the second coming of Jesus Christ when He comes. As obedient children, let's be good children for our Father in heaven. He's holy, so He wants us to be holy. I'm all the way down to verse 18. You know, there's another reason why we ought to be good children. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, if God shed, if God shed, and if, and if it pleased God to bruise His Son for us, how much should we be obedient children? Amen. If the price of our adoption was more than $5,000 at an orphanage, if it was the blood of His own Son, how much do we owe the Father that adopted us? Amen. That's why the for as much as ye know is there in verse 18. Ye were not redeemed. That's an economic term. Redemption is an economic thing. You redeem something for something else in financial terms. That's why gold and silver is mentioned here. And brethren, there are, there are base metals and there are precious metals. And gold and silver are precious metals, and copper and other metals are not precious because they're not valuable. They're not worth very much. Listen, copper is going right now for $2.50 a pound. It's one of the most expensive prices it's ever been, but gold is going for $820 an ounce. And that's a precious metal. But you know what? 
We weren't redeemed by gold and silver either, even though they might be precious metals. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, and there is no value that can be put on that transaction at all. This is an economic transaction. Do you know what kind of price was paid for you? We are going to celebrate it right now. The economic transaction of God shedding the blood of His own Son to adopt His enemies as His children and to give them an equal inheritance with the Son who died for the enemies. The precious blood of Christ is of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world for us, but wasn't manifest until these last times for you. The rest of them hadn't, you know, Abraham hadn't seen his seed. David hadn't seen his son. They didn't know very much about them at all. They knew that there was one coming because it had been prophesied in Genesis 3.15. But we know all the details. All the details of the gospel tell us everything we can and should know about Jesus Christ and our salvation by him. He was manifest, made clear and plain, proven to be valid in these last times for you. Then it says in verse 21, who by him do believe in God. Do you know why you believe in God? Father, as thou hast given him power over, as thou hast given thy son power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, that they may know and understand thee, the true and living God. John seventeen two and three. The Son of God hath come and given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, and in his Son Jesus Christ. This is eternal life. <laughs> Who by him? If you ever believe the gospel, Christine. If a person ever believes the gospel, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 tells us it's by him who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. What glory? The glory I've just been talking about 40 days after his resurrection. When he went into heaven and was given crown with glory and honor by God his Father for the obedience of going to the cross. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ by the shedding of his blood that made us equal heirs of heaven and all its riches and the presence of God forever. By his sacrifice. This is economics 101. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a transaction that they don't talk about in business school. You know what all this was for in the first 22 verses? That your faith and hope might be in God. Is your faith and hope in God this morning?